0: also looking at the future generations and how that will impact them because I definitely want my little future little ones, cousins, whatever they are, to run around and have the same uh, rich and healthy resources that I do today and that my ancestors had before.
1: Hello and welcome back to Sprouting Conversations. I'm very, very happy to be here with you today, and I really hope that you found time to enjoy the last episode that we made. Today we are looking at river restoration work happening out in Pachita Nation. I am so, so excited to have this conversation. It's with two friends of mine, so the conversation is very rich and very inspiring. Before we get into it, I just wanted to mention, if you have not already heard about it, we have a youth food justice group that just was announced. In this group, we cover anything related to food justice and collectively share learning opportunities and spaces to take action in our community. If this is something that you are interested in learning more about, please see a link in the show notes below. And without further ado, let's sprout some conversation. Can you go start by introducing yourself in whatever way that means for you?
2: Yeah, oh, sure. Okay, I'm Sophie Mm -hmm. Adams. I am living out here in Bichitat First Nation for the last few years with my honey right here. (laughs) And um, I'm of Scottish Metis heritage, and um, I love everything about this life and everything. um, It's taught me a long (laughs) way.
0: Thank you. Hello, my name is Tristan Jones. I am um, Welsh on my mother's side and I am Pachita First Nations on my father's side. Um, I have dual citizenship with my mom and here in Canada. Um, I am a status First Nations individual from the Pachita First Nation. Um, My dad's father is Bechita, and my dad's mother is um, Stolo from the Hope region. And yeah, I'm 24 years old. I'm about a month away from getting my bachelor's education, so I'm going to be an elementary school student, or elementary school (laughs) teacher now, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, so I just got my practicum confirmed. I get to do it here in the community, so I'm going to be working with the all my little cousins
1: wow that's so exciting yeah I'm pretty sure that's so soon yeah
0: yeah start next week
1: (laughs) awesome well thank you so much and then this is my fun question to you both is what was the last food that you ate that you were excited about nice
0: okay (laughs) um I would have to say um there's a local pizza business in in the town here called um Pyro Pizza and we had some some of our pizza last night and it was really really good
2: (laughs) and it's all hand loved and it's um the the fire chief out here and he makes it in his backyard in like this coolest stone oven and hot out of the oven right into your hands and um usually they have like seasonal mushrooms and stuff and so sometimes we get like surprise chanterelles and Yeah, it's always exciting. And if you're local, they'll always add a little special pizzazz for you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. I love stone fire pizza so much. Yeah, it's fine. And this next question is just, <clears throat> I've been asking people because I think it's really important to like give context to where people are coming from and what their like cultural background, upbringing is bringing to this work. So what is your relationship with food?
0: That's a very good question. Um let's see. Um food is a huge huge part of life and um it's a huge part of community as well and living and learning off the land within how you could sustain yourself is a really really cool concept and I hope to yeah. progress in my abilities to solely live off the land and the waters. We do a big um community Harvest events where we do um, river fishing and we do um, seafooding on the rocks. Um, so, doing that together and then having a big, almost like feast I guess you could call it a potlatch at the end of it is just so rewarding.
2: And recently, with um, all the amazing opportunities of the different sort of gardening grants that have been available, um, the community I've personally have noticed like a great sense of um, connection and having and wanting to know that knowledge of coming from the land onto your plate. And it's so cool because recently some friends of ours um, and our squash have harvested. And so being able to do like this trade is such a gift and something I've never experienced before. And I'm so grateful. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. The exchange is so important of just gifting with each other
2: totally. and
1: you're so right it's it's just as much like who you eat with compared to like mm-hmm. what you're eating you know
2: Totally. Mm-hmm.
1: awesome thank you uh my next one i'm just going to jump right into it because i'm mm-hmm. so excited to hear about right. it uh can you talk more about the river restoration work that you've both been doing and explain a little bit about it uh to whoever hasn't read the episode notes that explains all of the stuff that you shared with me beforehand Sure. Um, Um,
2: Yeah, so I guess to put it briefly, we've had the amazing time these last few months um, working on a salmon restoration project that um, promotes the protection and maintenance of healthy and diverse salmon populations and their habitats, and kind of figuring out um, what the last few hundreds of years have looked like over the land and, and water, and now figuring out what the San Juan are doing and how, how we get back there. <laughs>
0: yeah, so um, we focused focused a lot on um, the impacts of boat traffic in our local San Juan River, um, as well as how it's kind of changed the uh, format and the way the river moves. Uh, basically, like um, a part of the San Juan River used to go a little bit north of where it does now, And now it's kind of dried up into a land, like wetland kind of thing. And um, so I think our project was kind of focused around bringing the river back to its original state and where the river allowed more rich, like resource for the salmon to live in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we looked at, we did a lot of sampling. So we did um, beach sanding and we did um, pole sanding where we would look at just set areas and we would do repetitive um surveys in those areas and we would look for uh chinook chum and uh coho mostly but we would also get a little bit of bycatch and we would find uh perch we would find um what were those pipe fish
2: yeah Laja, did you know that bc has their own types of seahorses no, like, I did not.
0: Related to the seahorse?
2: What? Yeah. Oh, and they are really long and skinny. And they can grow from like a few inches to like, I'm going to make this up maybe like a foot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I've never seen anything like
1: that. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you for sharing the
2: that. The first set we pulled, there was a bunch of these wiggly things. We were like, what the heck is this? And um, the fisheries manager that we were working with was like, Oh, guys, those are seahorses. And
0: those are our version of seahorses. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think they're called pipefish.
2: Okay.
1: I will have to look that up. I'd love to see what that looks like. Oh, interesting. funky looking. Wow. Yeah. I'm just so curious, too, (laughs) about um, just like the journey and starting that. And, you know, like, what was the reason when you were first you, you mentioned like you had more time so more capacity to do it? But I'm also curious about like if there was any seasonal significance to why you started doing it in like late spring and early summer.
0: Yeah, so um the reason we were doing it at the time we were um was mostly around the um life cycle of the salmon. We were focused on the uh, fry to small ages of the salmon, and um, that's usually during that springtime. Oh, yes. so And as well, it was focused around that time in that area um, because uh, salmon at that stage of life uh, require a certain salinity in the water. Mm-hmm. And um, our river is very special because it's one of the only estuaries that, may, uh, maybe not only, but it's one of the main estuaries that uh, juvenile salmon can live in based, based on the salinity of the river okay so doing the research there is really important and um, this project is actually a, a pre and post project they were working on um, some river restoration stuff before this as well and um, after this they're gonna do some more uh, research like I was saying re- they're gonna uh, reroute the river back to the original state so um I think that's the based on the information that we collected during this um, project is going to be used for the future research in this area
2: Mm -hmm. wow and with one of uh, bc's largest watersheds here it's really been so cool to learn the different ways that um the water kind of recycles itself Mm. and so with this post project coming they uh, (laughs) they are going to um Yeah, just reflect on like just what you just said was try to bring it back to that and allow the salmon to flow through. Because what's it called? Um, Oh, because when the estuary comes in, the hydraulic flow um, pushes all the fish into kind of like the farthest regions of um, the watershed. And then when the the tide goes back out, sadly, the fish are left there with no water to be able to um, get to their next return back to the river return back to the river and so the goal is is to be able to um, keep the water in these rivers and just have the the new life cycle of these fish be here which is like right across our front door in our window and mm-hmm. this morning when we were kind of nervous I like going through all the questions we look up and a massive eagle just comes and flies right in front of us and all the fish start hopping out of the water and we're like okay this is
1: this has got to be a good sign. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. That's really nice that it's so close to, like, your home, too. You know, you get to, like, constantly just, like, see see your work and what, what's been changing. That's really beautiful. Huh.
2: <laughs> and yeah, at the boat driver going too fast. Through <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I, I'm so curious, too, like, about the ideal outcome for this. Like, what is, if everything worked out, what is your dream to come from this work?
0: Um, I guess the main objective is to um boost the salmon population and get it back to where it used to be because it's definitely a lot lower than it should be mm-hmm.
2: it almost has like a record time low of um the salmon coming in and um, our community fishes are kind of looking different this year because of the the record lows, which is really crazy to be um, experiencing in. In your lifetime,
0: mm-hmm, definitely.
1: Scary, for sure.
0: And um, as well, like with the whole salmon po- the re- revitalizing the salmon population, but there's also like a big connection to um revitalizing the the whale the whale populations as mm-hmm. well, because some of the killer whales um, solely rely on chinook salmon, and recently they've been having to um expand their I guess meal ideas to Coho and Chinook and all that other, or and Coho and um, Springs and other things as well. So yeah, it's all it all seems so connected.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're so right with that, and I feel like a lot of times when people look at restoration work, it's it's it can be so isolated where they just see how this one plot of land or water is being impacted, but it's so true. It's it's all connected, and you know the impact can go so far. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is this work, You, who did you mention it's being done with? You both, and is it your dad, Tristan?
0: Yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> my dad and my mom.
1: <laughs> awesome. Um,
0: my dad is the current elected chief of Pachiva, and um, my mom is the uh, current band fisheries manager.
2: And so we were lucky that um, we had kind of our own work bubble because Sadly, with like the effects of COVID-19, a lot of this work would have been halted and it wouldn't mm. have been able to move forward. And um, all the resources would have sadly kind of yeah. not gone to waste, but not been utilized. And so working in this um, community work pod with each other, we, we were still able to go out and do the work and come back and be able to be quarantined together. And so um, we're kind of really proud to say that the project wasn't um halted mm-hmm. and we get to see the um, effects be taken now like with alongside um the salmon restoration project there was also an eelgrass restoration project going because they really do go hand in hand because the salmon will come in and um find a little salmon mate and start the life cycle and so all the eelgrass kind of um encourages that and creates a safe harbor for them and. Uh, that project has totally blossomed and the eelgrass like when you swim in it now it tickles your toes because it comes up to the top (laughs) of top of the water and um it's really great and you can see all the salmon coming in and um yeah it's really amazing to see Mm.
1: that's really beautiful i like I mentioned this before, like I just love how much you know. It's it's so close to you, so you get to really be there. And like for me, being in the city, if I do restoration work, you know, it's a trip out to go and like see the impacts and what what's being done. So that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. And before this uh, interview, you mentioned a bit about the you know, like you do this work to monitor the fish's life cycle with awareness of the impacts of colonization. And I would love if you can like speak a little more about these impacts and like what you've seen and learned through doing this work in terms of like changes in land and water. I know you mentioned before, like the boats had impact, like the traffic there and like fish population. Is there anything else that has changed?
2: Yeah. And so just to touch on that for um, a second as a um, ally coming into the community and just being um, met with such open arms, it's really allowed, um, me to be able to connect with the community and and the land and and the sea and just being able to take that time is really important to me and I think I think to the both of us and during COVID, um, there wasn't sorry, what am I trying to say? <laughs> there wasn't a lot of boat traffic happening. There wasn't a lot of people coming through and the tourism and um the recreational sports and even like any of that it was all everybody had to be home with 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 their families and luckily for us that meant being out here on, on the water and so to be able to see that contrast between then and now when okay all the sports fishing are coming back and commercial fishing and family trips which is so wonderful but to see it firsthand that um like the impact that it has is kind of crazy like I was even sitting out there last night on the rocks right um watching the sunset and I could see all the seals come in and I could see all the fish jumping and Mm -hmm. um, I swear there was like a little seal pup in there because I kept hearing little like little tiny barks Mm -hmm. like little little water dogs I like to call them Mm -hmm. and um they were having a great time and then all the boats started to come in and it scared all the fish away and it scared all the seals away and all like the wake kind of brought all, like, the, the eelgrass up onto the rocks where I was, and it was just really grounding to see firsthand, the impact. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that was just last night. Mm-hmm.
0: You should also tell about the whale.
2: Should I tell the one about the whale? <laughs> so kind of what Tristan um, was saying about the southern killer whales having um, such a great impact on the salmon and their, their meat, mu- it's like a great source of their their meal source, and so um, we had the greatest opportunity to go out with the Southern Killer Whale, um, restoration project last summer, and kind of see firsthand what they do. And they, I think they have the best job in the world. They go out and they, I'm I'm sure they do a lot more than count the whales, but <laughs> from a visitor's point of view, it it sure looked like counting the whales, and so. We would go out there and drive around um, all throughout the Swisher water banks and
0: banks,
2: yeah. um, try try to find these whales and we hadn't seen any and so I guess we stopped and had a little bite to eat and all of a sudden we see the um, tip of a killer whale come up and it's about it's closer closer than we should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um it was so close and so we kind of watched them from afar and then we saw some other water spouts happening and so we turned the boat around to kind of get a safe distance um, away because they looked like they were coming right at us and at, um, at the point where we were we could see all these big, I don't know if they were tankers or barges or um, some sort of big boat and it was coming down through um, the strait. And all of a sudden, you see this massive, massive gray whale breach up and out of the water, almost do a flip and land. And it did that right in front of this barge. And I have a picture of it. And you know what it did, Laja? It actually rerouted the tanker. Whoa, really? And so for for whales to have that big of an impact, that they can reroute these big tankers, I think it just brings into... Like, our visualization of how important it is to be mm-hmm. mindful of, like, your impact on on the land and water. Mm-hmm. Even if you're in, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like, even if you're in suburban areas and, or rural areas, like, it's so important to kind of dig into, okay, what, what is it I'm doing and, and what can I... Do more almost, and those are questions I'm asking myself too.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm so happy you shared that story too, because I think so often when we think about in- impacts of land, we think of land and plants and animals all as like passive to it, and they're just like taking all this. But like that story really like shows that our ecosystem is not going to just take it, they're going to stand up, and that's what's scary <laughs> for me. It's like you know, that is going to have long impacts. So I really, really love that.
0: Totally. And the cool thing about where that happened, Swiss Shore Bank sorry, Swift Shore Banks is a um, traditional um, fishing site for our nation and Diddy Dot Nation. So I really what I really took out of that story was that I think that whale was really protecting the habitat mm-hmm. and the marine life within that um, region. So it, that that where that happened was really significant mm-hmm. as well
1: yeah, that's really good to know
0: Thank you. because we fish for halibut, we fish for um, cod there they they um traditionally fished act, that site was actually um traditionally where they would go to whale back in the day as mm-hmm. well, because our nation used to be whalers um as well as seal too so that that site is a really really rich. Uh, region for mm-hmm. our nations
1: what is it called again sorry what's the name
0: um Switch banks is Great. i know the um the western name for it but i can also send you the uh traditional name if you'd like i just don't know it off the top of my head
1: yeah yes i definitely love to have that
2: just that they were so passionate about and even today as you have the opportunity to go by these caves you can see these ancestral caves like carved out in in the side and um and it just kind of takes you back to to how and when when they could be used
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and when when you see that too it's it's so you know you're so much more inclined to do this work you know when you're attached to it and you have that immediate connection to it whereas being in the city sometimes you don't see those beautiful ancestral connections to land so I really really love hearing about that Mm -hmm. I'd love to also talk about like what I I know for me when I do restoration work it really really helps me like build power and feel really in control and just like at peace and like I have control in doing something and so I'd love to hear about any emotions that come up for both of you when you do this work and if it's like helped you grow at all as people or like you know like how has it impacted your heart
0: um i guess for me uh, doing some work to give back to the land and give back to the waters is a huge benefit within my heart um i yeah i guess having a uh, impact that would uh what's the word would have a significant effect intergenerationally is a really cool concept for me mm-hmm.
2: And I think for me, it's really been a heart forward project as well, because it's has been right outside um, on on our doorsteps, and yeah, <laughs> like it's, mm-hmm. it's a project that almost leaves me speechless, you know, because to see the the fast decline of, of the population and the effects it has on on this community, like I can't help but think. Um, of other surrounding communities too, you know, and to be able to help in any way and um, do that during during a pandemic. And um, to, to put this project first, I think just really speaks um, on our passion coming coming from the both of us, that we have this drive to, um, to, to better the land and learn as much as we can from it and from the people that we meet along the way. And that's kind of what's
0: mm-hmm. really
2: resonated with me is the community members and um, the, the excitement they have for, for when we come back with um, cool, not cool new information, but cool new stories of what we've done in the day or, or what we've seen. And um, to be able to share that is just so great. <laughs> Mhm. Mhm.
1: I really like your the word choice you had the heart forward. And I I can totally see it in the work you are doing like it's purely run by you know your heart now that's it's leading you to do it. i mm-hmm. okay. I'm
2: also curious
1: about if like there's any traditional practices or teachings within Pachidat Nation that have protected the land and water in the past and that's kind of like inspiring your work today. Like I know, like here where I am, like reef net fisheries is really big and that was a way to sustainably, you know, fish and allow family groups of fish to continue on by having the hole in the middle. So I was just wondering if there's anything that you want to share about, you know, some past teachings or traditions around that.
0: Um. Yeah, so I guess traditionally Pachita as well as many other indigenous communities, like you say, um practice sustainable work when harvesting traditional resources and um foods. Um lost my train of thought too. Oh gosh. (laughs) Um
2: gosh.
1: I'm sorry I didn't like hold back on tough questions
2: at
0: all. These are all wrong questions.
2: You gotta ask the tough questions, you know? Mm Um, mm-hmm.
0: Totally. So I think this project is a pretty good example of that as well. Um, mm-hmm.
2: um, yeah, kind of exactly what you just said is, from my point of view, this project is the modern day. <laughs> <laughs> We're making faces at each other. Sorry, Laja. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, it is the modern day, um, kind of restoration, um, and I'm going to use the word fish saving, uh, practice because it's allowing the the fish to come back to their, to their home, like their ancestral homes as well. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, and I would love to learn more about, um, historical practices use because that's yeah something something I'm still learning as well and it's gonna create really great stories with the elders that's for sure and um Mm -hmm. it might drive us to have a conversation or two and kind of um yeah learn learn more for ourselves
1: yeah I also find too like this is such a tough question because a lot of the times these teachings aren't even like explicitly said, you know, it's just in the way that we work and move. So it can be hard to pinpoint them sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. I'd also love to hear about um, like connection to water for you both and your families. Like I know a lot of people, when they think of restoration work, it's always like land-based. And then you think about, you know, like for me, connection to land and water is inherent. Like in my native language, tanukh is the word for land and water. There's no separate word for it, just to show how deeply connected it is. So I'd love to hear about like why it's important for you both to do this work within rivers.
0: Well, water is a huge part of life and um, traditionally a lot of the the, um, like you say, it's all connected and a lot of the coastal communities here relied on water for Transportation for food for resource um, extraction, and um, it was just a huge part of living. So, I really like that in your language that that Mm -hmm. word is connected, and that's huge. Um, Mm -hmm. I know, um, new new Toronto tribes is, um, I'm pretty sure they're. They they were historically um, known as uh, people of the salmon. So um, as well as um, our people, we have a traditional um, story of how we became and it it really revolves around water and how we ended up where we are after the great flood uh, tells how we became where we are and how I am here today. So water is a huge part of that.
1: Thank you. I really like Tristan, like how you brought through our storytelling too like it's always been deeply connected to water and like in so many different stories like in my origin story too like it's always water-based so there's a deep connection since time immemorial to water Mm -hmm. so I'm glad you brought that up um my next question is to people like I'm sure anyone who's listening to this right now is just like thinking about how they can get involved and just getting so excited about this work. Um, and so I just want to ask if there's, if you have any ideas around anyone who wants to do land and water stewardship, how would they start?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, Laja. Um, it's something I have kind of been passionate about as well, because originally um, I've spent some time in um, the greater Victoria area as well. And so trying to navigate um the ways of stewardship in the city can look a lot different than um in in the rural areas but if it if you're interested in this type of um work and you just have even an inkling or you even have a question it's it's just to get out there and, and get that question answered and um find the people and and find the resources to be able to grow your knowledge and um, even if that's by starting your own little garden and figuring out what that process of um, ground to plate kind of looks like or um, water to plate, you know, and just mm-hmm. asking yourself those questions, like these questions and, and the hard questions as well. And if, um, and if you can't seem to find the answers, you know, then that's okay. It just gives you more time to grow. mm mm-hmm.
1: I, I just wanted to say I really liked how you um everything you mentioned was so based on learning, you know, and I think that that is totally one of the first steps to restoration work is taking that time for introspection and just reflection on learning what you're doing rather than just jumping straight to action. So I thought that was really important to to mention.
0: Yeah, as well, there's, there, like, libraries are full of amazing books on some of this stuff. There There's an amazing um, app, I think Sophie was talking about it with me earlier. Um, do you remember the name of it?
2: Yeah, it's called nativeland.ca, and so they have a really rich um, resource about where you can go in and see um, whose territory and whose um Land, land you're on, and um, finding the different nations and territories. Um, and as as we've kind of traveled this last year, and it's found us up in places I've never, never explored before. It's been really cool to then go on these apps and pinpoint exactly where you are. Um, it's kind of like the Google Maps of uh, indigenous land, and you can go on and see where you are and that's (laughs) such a rich resource to be able to have like in your fingertips and to be to to be able to acknowledge um yeah to be able to acknowledge that
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I love I love that app so much like it has so much to it too like it's it also has all the languages and treaties and everything so there's it's just such a great place to start if you just don't even know where to begin totally Mm -hmm. okay so this question is probably my favorite one and I think for me I think it's really important to bring to attention like our dreams and what we want our future to look like and so I want to ask you both if you had the power to change our food's future for like one day you can do anything you wanted what would you change and like what would be differently and what would our connection to land look like
2: (laughs) it's so funny that you're asking us this question <laughs> because um yesterday Tiggy or yeah Tiggy and I were um can I call you Tiggy over this
0: sure my name's Tiggy
2: well <laughs> nickname sorry um but yeah so Tiggy and I were just talking kind of about what um like how I don't know I guess this is kind of personal um uh, about how how we want our life to look like in the future and for future generations. And a big part of that for us is to be able to live off the land solely. And um, you kind of touched on that in the beginning about how you have this dream of being able to harvest Mm -hmm. and, and and hunt and live off the land. And I think um, that's an idea that we both incredibly support to be able to live like holistically and um, locally and to have this trade within Within the community, and to take that monetary value and stress out of out of food because it is such a rich resource in um, like physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health, you know. And so, um, to just really put a huge value on that and make it accessible to all communities and all people without any question or hesitation is something really great and on a low scale through the sprout fund we've been able to um, start a little hobby garden and I'll be honest it's made out of driftwood and it's a little slouch to the side but we've put some love into it and um, our tomatoes and stuff they they've been growing so big and all the youth in the community we were guessing they they knew our tomatoes were growing too because we could find a trail leading back to one one of their houses and it was a cute little trail of our tomatoes (laughs) (laughs) and it was just so (laughs) to be able to share that with the community just warms my heart you know and to see like these Mm -hmm. red stained lips is just like just to be able to pass that on and pass that knowledge on of okay like this is how you take care of um the earth and this is how you take care of the plants and yourself yeah and yourself man like that is so great (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh that's such
1: a great like reassurance of you know like that that for me is like a motivation of gardening is feeding community and seeing a trail of tomatoes lead back to someone's home I love that (laughs) (laughs) amazing thank you so much for sharing everything you shared I feel like I learned so much through this conversation and just Hearing the stories is just really a beautiful way to start my day, honestly. Um, and so we covered so much, and I just love. If you, if you wanted the, if the listener could only take like two things away from this conversation, what would you want that to be?
2: Um. Honestly, I think just finding that connection and that compassion for the land and the water and the people around you and that mm-hmm. is so open that you can really find how individualistic that is for you and and put your own values in there and see see where you stand and um to be able just to be mindful um within that is i think the greatest takeaway for for me mm-hmm. yeah and i guess
0: yeah for me as well it's just looking at the the, the impacts um, on the land and water before us and the impacts we're having today and also looking at the future generations and how that will impact them because I definitely want my little future little ones, cousins whatever they are to run around and have the same uh, rich and healthy resources that I do today and not my ancestors had before.
1: Yeah, thank you both. That's such a beautiful, great way to wrap everything that we just talked about up. Uh, Wow. Again, thank you so much for sitting with me and starting your day with me in this great conversation. Uh, Did either of you want to say anything else before we wrap up this conversation?
2: yeah I just wanted to say thank you so much, Laza Laza, for sprouting this conversation if I can be cheesy and <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you of of how we wanted to look at it because um, I don't think we've had the opportunity to be able to kind of take this time and figure out what this means for the both of us. So I really appreciate you asking us these questions that we can answer together, both mm. Tristan and I as a as a community, so thank you.
0: Yeah, I definitely just want to say thank you. Um in our language it's kleco kleco. So I just want to say quecko quleco to you, Laja, for having us.
1: Mm. Aishka, thank you. Wow. That's so nice way to end it. And I'm really glad that I could help um facilitate some conversation for you both. And it's actually going to be meaningful for both of you in your lives. So that's really, really great to hear.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: Of course. This is the end of our call, but please, I'd love to stay in contact with both of you and continue learning about all the work you're doing. So if you ever have any photos or stories you want to share, please reach out and just let me know and motivate me to do great work. I really admire all the work you were both doing.
2: All the love, Laja. Thank you.
1: Thank you so so much for listening to this week's episode i am blown away with the wonderful conversations that came out of this and the storytelling and the authentic sharing it was a wonderful wonderful conversation and i really really hope something resonated within you as well if you like this episode and want to continue learning with us please like or subscribe to our podcast and check out all the other ways that you can collaborate with the youth food network all of that information will be in the show notes below